0: Good morning, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Diamond Championship Show. We're doing a little switching things up this week, guys. We got uh, uh, Leverett and Leverett Ball and Marcus Ogden on the show today, guys. Can uh, Jimmy, you want to give us a little background on on Marcus?
1: Well, I, I mean, you, you probably know more than Marcus. I mean, he played in the NFL, right? But what amazed me is he uh, actually went to Howard University and got a degree in finance as a football player. And that's a little bit different in athletics. You don't see a lot of uh, football players getting finance degrees and doing that. So that's pretty amazing.
0: Well, and Jonathan, as you know, man, playing college football, having a degree like that and also playing playing a college sport at the same time, that's got to be pretty tough.
2: Oh, it's got to be it's gotta be hard for him to do, man. That's a lot of classwork as well as like dealing with games and practices and, and conditioning and stuff. So I'm sure I'm, it's impressive to see. And I hope young kids who see this, go, you know, it's not only doable, but it's something you should strive for.
0: Yeah, and then our other guest today is Leverett Ball, and Leverett uh, has worked for ESPN um, and NESN up in Boston area as a sports broadcaster, producer, um, as well. Went to Curry College up in uh, Milton, Massachusetts. So these guys are here to talk to us today a little bit about purpose, finding your passion, and even how some of your lowest moments can turn into some of your greatest blessings. So uh, without further ado, we're going to have Leverett and Marcus on today. Good morning, fellas. How are we doing? Good. Doing well. Yeah. Go thanks on, for man. having us. Marcus, I want to start with you, man. So your story has been really intriguing. Like You were in the NFL, then you went back out, then you started a construction company. And, you know, that was going really well for a while. But then what, what happened after that? Can you kind of give us your story of like transitioning and how that kind of helps you find your purpose and what you're doing right now?
3: Yeah. So Jason, when I got out of the NFL, I built Caden Premier Enterprises. It became the largest African-American subcontracting company in the city of Baltimore and the state of Maryland. in the area of site work. We did like site work, grading, demolition, utilities, concrete. But unfortunately, as the company grew, my ego went right along with that. And I made some real bad mistakes. I got really Arrogant. I got really pompous. I got really self-centered, and I stopped listening to my trusted uh, team and key team members. As a result of that, along with taking on a job and spending about close to three million dollars of my money in less than ninety days, which was denied by the developer and the contractor, I went into a Chapter Seven bankruptcy in 2013, and I moved down to Raleigh, North Carolina, where I'm at today with no home. All, both cars were repossessed in the same day. I thought the day after I got here, uh, no credit, no friends, no family, except for my fiance, who's my wife and, my, and her family, and then um, $400 to my name. That's all I had left.
2: So, oh, man, so, Marcus, that's hard to hear. I mean, and unfortunately, or fortunately, people don't understand It's that's, that's a common tale all the time, regardless of race. When you're a professional athlete or someone, even an entertainer, who gets a lot of money. We tend to, how do I say, like you said, let our egos get the best of us. Like we know more than we think we know because we think that because we got money and we got here and we struggled and we fought, um, we, we can handle anything. And it's funny you mentioned Maryland, man, dude, because I grew up in Rockville, Maryland, which to a high school out there. So that's Oh, cool.
3: yeah, absolutely, absolutely, man. Yeah, I'm from D.C. originally, went to yeah. Howard University, as James mentioned earlier, uh, on the pre-show. And, uh, yeah, my brother went to UCLA, and he was – a Number four draft pick overall in 1996 uh, to the uh, to the Ravens and had a 12 year amazing career. And, you know, then I came up and went to Howard and got drafted to the NFL. I'm actually the first and only still to this day offensive lineman ever drafted from Howard to the NFL. Uh, And I really enjoyed my time at Howard and what it taught me about life after building a business, finance and all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, it's funny. My daughter's going to an HBCU
3: now. She goes to Bethune Cookman and they Beach, one of playing volleyball. Bethune Cookman, yep. One of my old te- one of my old teammates from the Jaguars went there. Uh, Rasheen Mathis had a yeah, had, had a fourteen year NFL career. We played against each other. Uh, we both graduated at the same time. Played against each other. You know, he was Bethune, I was Howard, and then I got we got drafted. He was our second round draft pick that year, and I was our sixth round draft pick to the Jaguars.
2: So I know Jimmy wants to jump in, but real quickly, like when we talk about what would you recommend to Because I've been there myself. I played for the Raiders for three years and I know how it feels to think that money's coming in. And unfortunately I took care of my parents first, and then I started looking at other things to do. But you know, I've been there, man, where you were broke, lost the house. You're living, I was living I was sleeping on a friend of mine's um literally over holidays because I couldn't have couldn't afford to go back and visit family, I was living in a guest room, no money, I had like I think I had 175 bucks in my pocket. It was we've all been there and had to reinvent ourselves. What would you do you think is the one thing you could say to um, young kids, young players
3: that how do you prevent this from happening? So you have to learn this. It's the old cardinal saying you need to learn and know what you don't know and what you don't know. Delegate to other people and learn how to take people's advice. And I feel that's the mistake I made with my construction business. Uh, you know, as I stopped listening to my key employees, my key team members, and I tried to grow too quickly and I was chasing what I call fast money or what I thought was fast money. And like I tell people today, if you're chasing something for what I call a motivating or external factor, money, notoriety, fame, eventually you will burn out because you're not doing it for the right reasons. And so I. Like, take you know our business today and our podcast live and i have you know we're out to give great value great content and we're growing and growing. we didn't start it to like make a bunch of money or try to get famous you know we just started just to help people and it's grown to what it is today and it continues to grow as lever and i now invest in our business because we understand how to take advantage and listen to each other and then kind of just go from there go uh, so marcus
1: but You talk about when you were basically broke, you had nothing You moved back to Carolina and you hear a lot of people be like, well, hey, great. You guys, we got the show. You're doing these things and you know your why, you know what you're doing. How did you get yourself in that place to where, you know, a lot of people say, well, I got to make money. I got to figure out ways to to survive. How did you find the time to maybe discern yourself to figure out, you know, what is your why and what is going to be your next direction you're going to take in your life?
3: So when I came to Raleigh, James, I had a job, thank God, through the NFL with Merrill Lynch in Durham. But I was only there for about 2 months and we had on our podcast level members really well Mike Hollis, who was a kicker for the Jaguars wow. out of Idaho. Yeah, great guy. And Mike said that most athletes when they end up finished playing in their career, they're so far removed from their degree they don't do well when they first get into a, a corporate job because sometimes it's what they study in college that have been done in so long. So I have a finance degree. When I got to Merrill Lynch, I struggled immensely with everything from the tests and the practice exams to get my license. I was good at meeting people, but I was failing all the exams, all the stuff. So they had to let me go, which was my fault. Nobody else's. Went to a construction company the next day was fired five days later. They shut down the store and the sales parts division. I'm out of a job. So from there, I took a job as a custodian, making $825 an hour. And I took a job trying to coach kids football. It's what I knew. So I would dedicate my nine to five, which in reality was from eight to eight, eight a m to eight p.m for probably about two years. That's what I worked training kids and And then I also worked as custodian from 10 p.m. until 5 a.m. So it was just, you know, I would try to nap during the day when I could. I would try to get things done when I could. But that whole time I was doing the two main jobs, coaching football and the custodian to take care of my family. And as I had my time on as a custodian, kind of, you know, you know, um, you know, uh, vacuuming floors, taking trash out, spraying uh, pledge on tables, wiping them off, cleaning baseboards. I kind of listened to podcasts, listened to different things, and I tried to figure out what was my why. And then I had my life-changing spoiled milk moment, which made me realize, wow, when somebody's trash and rotten meat and banana puts on my body and skin and clothes, James, I then realized that if I don't pursue my why at this point, I'll always be sitting right here just getting by. Coaching kids in football, which I enjoyed, but it was hard on my body. And I knew I couldn't do that, you know, 40s, 50s. Like, you don't want to be somebody in the 50s and 60s trying to train linemen and all that because it's just going to beat your body up. And I didn't want to be a custodian forever. Nothing wrong with being a custodian, but I had more ambition for myself. And that's when I made the move to try to go after speaking. But I still was a coach and a custodian. Doing that, then eventually I left the custodian job, kept doing football training, private, you know, uh, camps, leagues, all that. Then in 2020, I finally left full time to go after speaking, consulting, and now what we do here with Lev as a podcast host, and I do this now full time since 2020. So, 11, how do you go
1: ahead, Jason? Go
3: ahead. Yeah, lever we kind of
0: switch to. So, how did you and uh, Marcus? Meet, how'd you all, how'd you all, Rose Connect? And then, you know, tell us a little about, like, you know, uh, your broadcasting and how that's met your purpose in life.
4: Yeah. So, um, you know, my background's in TV broadcasting, not podcasting. Um, you know, I've done stuff on, on ESPN and uh, New England Sports Network. Um, I really got into podcasting when the pandemic was out of control. Um, you know, before they had the vaccine and everything was basically completely shut down, and there weren't really as many live sports. Uh, and for me, you know, I work mostly as a, a play-by-play announcer and sideline reporter. Um, so, you know, when the when the pandemic first kind of got out of hand, I was at home uh, doing pretty much nothing. A lot of my broadcasts were canceled, um, and so initially, I just got into podcasting because I was bored. As you know, as simple as it sounds, um, you know, all my TV work with ESPN and other places was canceled. I was collecting unemployment checks, watching Netflix. Um, I actually. Not proud to say this, watched an entire season of a Bachelor rerun. So th- that, <laughs> that puts in perspective how bored I was. So uh, yeah, so I, I started podcasting. What's that?
3: Watch your hey, man. Left.
4: Yeah, I know it, it went we, out the window at it. that point in time, but
2: uh, we, we all kind of jumped into it,
4: especially when. Uh, oh, it was, it was brutal. It, I mean, that's yeah. when you know you hit rock bottom. But uh, you watch an entire season of a Bachelor rerun in like a span of two days. So I started podcasting again, and then initially I just did it alone. Um, but you know, I reach out to different professional athletes and other people and invite them on. So I initially invited. Marcus to come on the podcast as a guest. Um, I had him on twice. Um, and then we, we talked further about you know, launching a second podcast that we'd co-host together. Um, and then uh, you know, within the first three months of us launching that podcast, we were within the top 3% of most popular podcasts worldwide out of 2.6 million podcasts. And you know, since then, we've gotten high profile guests and sponsors that started making money um, but again, initially, when I started podcasting, it was before I got in touch with Marcus, didn't make a dollar doing it. it was literally just a way of passing time during the pandemic. And it's really taken off. And, you know, I think when Marcus and I first decided to, um, you know, launch our podcast together, we didn't expect it to do as well, especially, you know, for for it to uh, take off as quickly as it did. Um, you know, again, we were, I think after two months in the top 5% worldwide of most popular podcasts and within three months within the, uh, the exact number was the top 2.5%. Um, we're definitely, uh, hoping to be in the, you know, the top 1% worldwide within the next few months. So, uh, you know, we're just really trying to keep the ball rolling, but like I said, I don't think we anticipated this.
1: How do you go? Like you guys talk about almost reinventing yourselves. Uh I mean, you know, TV broadcaster, Mark, you mentioned the things you were doing and now you go into something totally different that you've never been in before. What's your recommendations you give to people that are kind of starting afresh, starting anew, have to do something different? How do they go about it to succeed
3: in that? So what I would tell people is you need to identify your strengths. Take Leverett and I. Leverett is really excellent at the editing, the publishing Uh, you know, going after guests, you know, the organizing, all that kind of stuff. I'm very good at going after guests, uh, closing sponsorships, because I've been very good at sales. I have an acronym for sales, strong, action oriented, lay out your why, efficient strategies. So we've been very successful closing some very high profile sponsors, but I'm also very good at Leveraging my network of former NFL athletes, NBA athletes, you know, celebrities, whoever, whoever I know, business professionals to bring a very different feel to our show. It's not just sports. It's not just mindset. It's not just entrepreneurship. Not just business. It is a diverse mix of all. So Lever and I came together. And once we knew what he did well, what I did well, we then came together and we launched this podcast. So anybody that's listening, figure out what you do well. And if you want to do something you could do by yourself well, go after it. But if you do something well, but you need somebody else to work with you to make it work, well, find someone that doesn't have the strengths you do. You join forces. You create alignment around a unified, shared vision. And you go to work and let everything and let the chips fall where they may.
2: Oh, that's great, man. I, re- I really appreciate that answer. It's, um, but I wanted to go back to something you were talking about. You mentioned the phrase, and, and I you you hear this growing up a lot, is short money. Um, when people mentor you, they always try to tell you about short money. And in fact, believe it or not, and this is where... Um, I'm with Leverett here. Um, I was watching an episode of Walker Texas Rangers because it was just want the like marathon. Stop laughing at me, Jason. So cause I, I the show is like this funny. I'm sorry. Just, well, like,
3: but but at least your show wasn't like The Bachelorette or something. I mean it was we had a guy on a on the podcast, Jared Havens, on The Bachelorette and The Bachelor. He's a coaching client of mine. So mm-hmm. great guy. And again. No problem with guys that watch it. Their wives got them, or their girlfriends. You're trying to use that to kind of you know have some have some go lucky time later. Get it. Lever it yeah. by
4: yourself, man. Although at, at yeah. the time I was dating a girl who liked the show. In, okay. in my you left
3: uh, that out, so that's yeah. cool. <laughs> but I, that's but
4: good. it was like you know, remember in the pandemic when like you know you could hang out with like ten specific people and not see random people. Like I pretty much hung out with this girl I was dating at the time and her friends. So again. I wouldn't say I entirely get my man car back. We pretty had like girls' night. It was like her and four of her female friends. We'd like drink wine and watch The Bachelor. Like it's still embarrassing. But. No, no, you should sure let so. Jonathan I, ask
3: this question, man. You just I, I, pick up the airtime with
4: that.
2: Jonathan, please go forward. So the question is, is like, like I said, there's an episode of Walker Texas Ranger where he has this has his kids in one of those camps where kids get in trouble and he's trying to rehabilitate them. And I think it's called Camp Justice. Or the episode's called that. He gets up on a board and goes, "Would you take a million dollars right now?" or would you take a penny compounded by itself every day for over a certain period of time? And the kid goes, man, bet. I'll take the million dollars. He goes, really? So he flips the blackboard over and it shows that he would have had like multiple, multiple million dollars. If he had just took the penny and compounded it. And he goes, you took the short route. You took the short money. and You took the immediate route instead of thinking, planning, and figuring things out and looking at the long-term thing. So I wanted to resonate with what you just said there. So with you and Billy, when you guys were going and thinking, You know, I'm sure there was opportunity, there was temptations when you were struggling to go, this could be another short route. Do you think that you learned your lesson and said, you know what, I'm not going to take that short route, I've done it before, or
3: did it happen multiple times? No, so perfect example. 2013, I moved to Raleigh, bankrupt, broke, had nothing. 2014, I took a job as an offense-defense analyst for Campbell University, under head coach Mike Minter, who played for the Carolina Panthers for 10 years out in Nebraska. So worked for him for a while. As you know, it was totally pro bono. I worked three days a week and I kind of just helped. I went to all games home and away. And at the end of that time, Coach Minter offered me a job as his kind of like his analyst, helping him with offensive line, D-line, just you know, overall, you know, player assessment, just kind of being like somebody to help him and give him a perspective. I think the job would have paid like forty thousand dollars, something like that and i remember feeling wow you know my daughter was just born so she was even a year old and i was literally gone all the time practicing driving there because it was like a two-hour round trip driving uh then i was always at games home away and i was like wow this is the life that i really don't want for myself and i enjoy coaching but i don't want to coach where i have to leave my family all type of stuff and i wasn't making any money. Partly with my business, I was just starting it out. But at $40,000, I turned it down. And so I told mentor, thanks a lot. I appreciate it, but it's not for me at this time of my life. And a lot of people were like, Marcus, what are you thinking? Like you could have been a coach at Campbell University. Campbell's in a little small town called Mm -hmm. Willington, North Carolina. It's in Harnett County, great area. It's kind of like God's country, farmland, mixed with a little bit of like, you know, busy life and all that. So it's kind of like God's country. So they love Campbell in Lillington. Yeah. love it. So, like, man, you could have been a coach; and everybody would have known you in this little town. You would have been a, a little a small town hero. And today, I look at what I've done with my business. I've spoken all over the U.S., international, Mexico, Canada. I'm going to Ireland uh, next year to speak. Uh, I've done stuff, you know, in L.A., Miami, you know, Boston, you know, Chicago, all over, and. I'm not an international or national star by any means, but I'm somebody that now has traveled and done more nationally, international with my business. If I would have took that job at Campbell, I would have never been able to go and do what I do now as a speaker, a coach, a consultant, because I would have been on their clock, coming there all the time. And, and again, they get there at 7, especially right now, 7 a.m. They're not there, and they're there until 12 a.m and you're working like 18 hour days and they work 11 months out of the year. There was no way I could have pursued speaking, coaching, writing a book, all that, if I would have taken that opportunity. So that's a classic example where a $40,000 job in 2015, to me would have been like, woo, I'm back. Cause I was a little less off making it Merrill Lynch, but it just didn't seem right at the time. And I had bigger goals and I say, you know what? It's, I'm not gonna get there today tomorrow. But if I just stick with this, who knows? And if I take this job at Campbell, I'm stuck. And what happens if Miller gets fired in a year or two? You know well, he's still there today, which is awesome. But who knows what would have happened? So, you know, my job today would have maybe been paying maybe like you know 50, 55,000, which is a, which is a respectable salary. But what I do now, you no, know, I don't. You know, I can sometimes make that in a day or a month for consulting. So. Yeah. It's even take. So I turned down the $40,000 job in 2015. Everybody thought I was nuts mm-hmm. where I'm at today where, you know, that kind of money is like, that's nice, but it's not, you know, I make way more than that with what I do today as a speaker, consultant, the coach.
1: Hey Marcus, what, what you really did is you bet on you and you hear that a lot. You bet on yourself, but you, people feel like they have this internal drive. They have this, you know, this desire that they want to do, but they're afraid to step out. They're afraid to take the courage. They're afraid to bet on themselves. And people tell them they're crazy. Like you said, hey, why are you not taking this $40,000 job with benefits and have this? What do you
3: tell people that are afraid to step out and have the courage to bet on them? I make it real simple. Unless you know something that I don't, and if you believe that, God bless you. That's your thought. I'm not going to tell you any different. We only have one life to live. That's all I know of. So why spend your life doing something average and then being growing older. And everyone says, as they get older, the number one word they hate to have in their vocabulary that starts with R is regrets. I regret not doing this. I regret not doing that. I started speaking in 2013. I was at, I was at Campbell when I started, but again, it was all, nobody paid me I was just trying to get going. Two and a half years, gentlemen, not one paid job, not one. I just got a call yesterday. I'm speaking at the largest statewide California. I'm speaking at the largest California state financial conference as their closing keynote speaker in February of next year. It's called the California Society of Municipal Finance Officers. It's their largest conference for financial people that work for the state. And they requested me, it's probably going to be about 2,000 people there, and they're paying me a very large sum of money. But if I had gone and gave up on myself in 2013, 14, 15, when I hadn't got any paid jobs, I would, who knows where I'd be at today. I'd be still either coaching high school football, doing something that I hate, and having a, and this is why I feel people too, like marriages and people that are in marriages that are not doing well, I feel. A lot of times it's because somebody's not happy with what they're doing professionally brings into the marriage and that causes problems as well. You know, I have a client I'm going to start working with. Same thing. Like he's not happy with where he is. He comes to the marriage. And I feel that's a lot of people. So you might as well bet on yourself because we only have one life to live. So why have regrets when you're gone or when you get close to that time of your life? It's not going to be here anymore.
0: Yeah, you know, and uh, and lever for yourself, man. You know, we talk about purpose a lot. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the the why behind you all do what you do. You know, with your with your podcast, with your partnership. You know, how how important is the why to find your purpose?
4: Yeah, well, I would say also kind of building off, um, you know, what what Marcus said as far as um, you know your your why. Um, you know, a lot of people. Um, you know, as far as you guys referencing betting on yourself, a lot of people talk about risk and they say, you know, it's such a risk to to not get a nine to five job and pursue broadcasting or acting or music or something really competitive. And to some degree, I don't agree with that because, you know, there's a lot of risk involved in taking the traditional path. You know, again, if, if you're just following the path that society says you're supposed to follow in your life and, you know, getting a nine to five job and getting married by a certain age and having kids by a certain age. Do you know how many people end up in long-term nine to five jobs that they hate? And, you know, how many people I've talked to said, you know, I've had this really stable job with good pay for the last 30 years and there's no way I'm going to leave it because it's too late for me to do anything else. But I've spent the last 30 years doing a job I hate. Or, you know, I've married someone and had, you know, children and I realize all these years later, they're not the right person for me. I mean, there's so much risk in the traditional path. There's there's risk in every path. So to to say that betting on yourself and and pursuing your passions is risky and everything else is safe isn't true. There's, there's risk involved in every single path. Um, so for me, again, you know, uh, when I was choosing, you know, what to do with my life uh, and my career, I wanted to pursue what I was passionate about. And I'd rather fail at that than fail at you know, something that I wasn't passionate about that, that would be even worse. Um, And, you know, I have talked about it on the podcast with Marcus a little bit, you know, I did have some uh, some family backlash Um, and, you know, some of my relatives who told me, uh, you know, specifically um, when I told my relatives, I wanted to be on ESPN someday, my grandmother's exact words were that's not realistic. And she recommended that I get a job working at her retirement home instead. Um, and you know, I, unfortunately, you know, this past weekend I had three ESPN broadcasts, so I wasn't able to make it to the retirement home because I was on national television. But, uh, but anyway, but, um, you know, honestly, I'd say also the big thing, and as far as betting on yourself is being independent. You know, if your, if your decisions, if your life choices are controlled by societal pressure, pressure from, from family, pressure from friends and not what you want, um, you're not going to be able to, to, you know, take the plunge and, and pursue what you want. So for me, um, you know, I've never really cared what society thinks I should do with my life. I've never really cared what people around me think of me. Um, and honestly, you know, again, the moral of the story here isn't that I hate my family. I have a good relationship with all my relatives, but I've never let them control me either. Um, you know, I've always um, pursued what I want to do with my life and not whatever image they had for, for who I should be. Um, and so at the end of the day, again, my why is just doing what I'm passionate about. And, and, you know, I don't want to go to work every day. You know, I don't want to have that daily routine of my alarm going off in the morning and saying, you know, FML, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to use swear words on your show. I don't know your policies, but a lot of people feel that way. I wake up in the morning. I'm excited because I love what I do. And that was always my goal. And that's what I'm doing now. So long answer, but I I hope that answers your, your question. No, you but, know, you just, but to answer
2: your question, look Fortunately, Jason, Jimmy, and I, we don't cuss. We just, okay. Like, yeah. We, we kind of say we're, we're the Sinbad of podcasts. I
4: was careful there. I said FML, or right? I could have said, you know, bleep my life, you know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, here's what I'll do, guys, because I got to run, but I want to just add on to what Leverett said. And I hope your audience gets that in life, they need to make their own choices. Uh, Leverage just said something really sparked me. One of my good friends has worked for a company for exactly 30 years. And now there's a shift in management change that's negative. And he is now considering, do you leave? Does he leave? Does he walk away? Like I said, 30 years of his life has been at this organization that he loved, love going to work, was excited about, but all of a sudden now that's gone because of someone coming in, changing the culture, changing the leadership style. And a lot of the executives are like, wow, this may not work for me. So again, you need to bet on yourself and you need to understand that in life, you know, if you make a mistake, own it, fix it, move on. And don't let failure be a reason why you don't pursue something because at the end of the day, we all fail, but very few of us live. So I hope everybody you know, takes from there. And, again, like I said, gentlemen, thanks for having me on. Leverett, uh, represent us well. No cussing and uh, no all bad, right. joke. and no bad right. jokes, Leverett.
4: All right, I'll yeah. lots of uh, disrespectful things behind your back once you jump off the call. Sure,
3: I'm sure cool. you won't. Cool. Yeah. On, man. Talk to you all wait, later, wait, wait, wait. Thanks, Marcus.
1: Hey, Leverett, I, I do want to dive into that. Um God we rid
4: of that guy, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now we get to the real show, right? Yeah, <laughs> the party starts. Yeah.
1: The pressure of family, yeah, like there's so much internal pressures of, you know, parents, like say said, grandparents um, trying to influence you to do things they think is right for you. And you said you got to the point where you, di- you didn't care.
4: Mm-hmm. You didn't
1: care what other people think you're going know, to do what you want to do. How did you get to that point and how do you recommend people develop that mindset? Because there's a lot of people that struggle and they want to please the people around them.
4: Yeah. And I've seen it, you know, I've, I've seen that with a lot of people I know, whether it's people who, you know, always cave into family pressures or, you know, some people their friend group controls them. You know, they, they essentially take orders from their friend group as to, you know, what to do, who to date, what, you know, what to pursue. Um, You know, one, I think one thing for me, as far as, you know, why I wanted to be a bit more independent was kind of hearing my father's story because, Um, again, you know, the, the purpose of this is not to, to rip my, rip on my grandparents. I have a good relationship with them and they've done a lot of things for me over the course of my life. But when my dad was growing up, you know, he was a really good student and his, his parents wanted him to, my grandparents wanted him to skip a grade in school because their eventual goal was for him to go to MIT. Um, and so they really wanted to fast track him academically. He was worried that he wouldn't fit in socially. You know, especially, I I think he skipped a grade, I forget his age, but like he was basically a little boy taking classes with guys with mustaches who were interested in girls. So he didn't, he didn't fit in at all. And, you know, he had no friends and he got bullied and his way of compensating for his social insecurities was bragging about how well he did in school, which made people hate him even more. So my dad's social experience, you know, through middle school and high school was awful. And yeah, he, you know, he took classes with older kids smoked them on, you know, tests and everything in GPA. He did eventually go to MIT. Um, and now, you know, he's worked as an economics professor at uh, Harvard Princeton and Johns Hopkins. But but he's, he regrets all of that because, he, again, his social experience was horrible growing up. And it, it honestly permanently affected his self-esteem in ways that still affects him as an adult. And so, again, he didn't want to skip a grade in school as a kid. That was kind of forced on him and he he really regretted that and that really hurt him. So so kind of hearing from my dad about how he kind of caved into some of his parents' pressures, you know, I think they expected me to cave as well, you know, based on the experience they had with my dad and I I, I kind of drew a line in the sand. And you know, it's interesting um I months ago before I got in touch with Marcus when I was hosting the podcast solo, I had uh, Reggie Walker on uh, my podcast is guest. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. Is former San Diego Chargers player. They're now the LA Chargers. They're called the San Diego Chargers when he played for them. Linebacker, but he's a really interesting guy because he was a victim of a very bad uh, child abuse as a growing up um, for for years, and he was actually sexually abused as a child, and uh, for a while was very isolated and and dealt with some significant mental health issues. But he said the thing that he learned is that. You shouldn't need anyone in your life. You should be able to get by on your own. The people you bring into your life, whether it's, you know, friends or or girlfriends or wives or whoever, they're people who add value to your life, but you should be able to get by without them. If you can't operate independently and you rely on other people, I think that leaves you powerless. And that's what, you know, I, I think causes a lot of people to be influenced so much by others is the fact that they just feel completely powerless without them. And, you know, for me, again, also partly my experience growing up, you know, I was an only child. I went to boarding school starting at age 16. So I had to be independent early. And I think I think that helped. So um, I think it's a mixture of those factors.
2: Well, it's really funny you mentioned dads, um, Lebert. Um, and it's funny, I'm pretty sure that um, Marcus would, would agree with this is um, and this is a quick little story. When I was my, my biggest influence in Jimmy and Jason know this very, very well. Is why he's been my father. And mm-hmm. um, when I was growing up, um, he, I don't know what, what prompted this. I don't know what I said to make this happen. He just, he came mm-hmm. home, got told me to get dressed and got me in the car and drove me to the local McDonald's where we all hung out all the time and went there and I'll never forget. It was the first time I ever really met someone from the middle East. There's the mother, manager name was Javit. And he said he took Javit aside. I saw them talking. And my dad was working at IBM right now he gave Javit some money and then Javit came over and said I'll see you on Monday and I was like what do you mean you'll see me on Monday and my dad had made this guy give me a job and I had to work here no matter what <clears throat> for three months and he couldn't fire me and I couldn't quit and I didn't know what the frick this how this all played out because like I don't how to have a say so and I was kind of I made some stupid comment in the car like dad you know like this is of my I to take here what the hell why are you selling me out like this and I, so I went to work. First week I was there, Job it had me taking out the trash, cleaning up, like, the grill stuff. Like, it was none of the cool jobs. Like, hey, can I take your order or at the drive-thru? It was all the crappy jobs.
4: Right. So
2: I'm walking outside. I'm carrying trash. And I'm trying to speed my time up so I don't have to do it as long. So I had one bag over my shoulder, and I'm trying to carry two in my hand. And we've all taken garbage out to the to the curb before. Bad move. Um, there's some friends in the drive-thru line. They could see me. And there happens to be this girl in line with her cousin and the girl, I'm not going to mention her name and stuff, but she was Holly Berry before there was a Holly Berry. Like that was our Holly Berry in high school. The bag over my shoulder ripped and just poured garbage all over me. So I'm totally embarrassed. to flip said I'm ready to quit big time. And so for three months, it's like Marcus said, I'm coming home smelling like nuggets and French fries. and stuff, And it's just horrible. After three months, my dad took, went, I went to Sears and my dad had he, had, he was a computer engineer. So I was learning DOS, which is if you, oh, you're a kid, you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's a manual programming thing that you have user interfaces for now. So I go to Sears. They need, they need someone who knew DOS to work the loading dock to inventory when things got coming from the store or left the store. And nobody in the store, even the manager, didn't know how to use the thing. So I said, I can do it. And I did it a couple of days. He said, dude, would you come here and work? <clears throat> so I went from making, and this will tell you how old it was. I went from making two seventy-five dollars an hour in at, ways at McDonald's. To making ten dollars an hour plus time and a half on Sundays, and I went to my dad. I came home from Sears and I said, "Dad, what was all that about?" He goes, "What did you learn?" I go, "I know this. I don't ever want to work at McDonald's again." He goes, so "He goes, what?" I said, "Why?" Because I can use why? Because I can use my brain. I went, and then I then the light went on. He taught me. That was the last time I had a, a serious manual job. I mean, literally, other than the army and playing football, where you're being physical. But it was the last time
1: I didn't use my brain to make money. It was the very last time ever. Now that was high school. So hey Jason, what, I got hey Jason. I know you want to mention something, but remind me when you brought that up, Jonathan coming back to America, right? Or, or uh, when he when he did that deal with McDowell's. Remember McDowell's? Yeah, when he's there, yeah. like, man, I'm cutting the lettuce. If I work hard enough, I can get up to fry the fries. <laughs> <laughs> move up here. Yeah, you so, and Leverett were like that. You're like, no, nah, I can move no, up. No, this, I'm this, this. you're like, little I'm out. Hey. My
2: first bank, my first bank that I ever put money into ever. And this is this will also tell you I wish we changed things in high school. We had a, a life science class where you learn how to open a bank account, fill out a job, a, a job application, how to do a resume, how to do a check-in account. They don't teach kids that stuff. Anymore, but the bank that I very first opened, my very first checking savings account was right next to the McDonald's that, I, that started that whole thing. So that story about your dad and how it influenced everything like that and what Jimmy brought about family. I love that because the same thing happened to me. So was there definitely. anybody opposite your family that was kind of like, don't do do It was like my situation where someone, someone gave you a lesson, you went, oh, and it changed everything.
4: Yeah, I mean, well, I would say, for one, you know, you talked about how, you know, it made you hungrier and more aware to have that awful job. I think the having jobs like that definitely makes you hungrier, you know, and, and for a lot of sports broadcasters, um, you know, when you start out, you don't make enough money to – to really support yourself. So there are some, you know, sports broadcasters who will get a full-time, you know, job in sales or whatever and and also broadcast. The the guys who get comfortable jobs usually end up going the sales route and dropping out of broadcasting. But, you know, for me when I first tried to get into broadcasting, you know, I was driving for Uber I worked at a bar, I did different unglamorous jobs like that and that kept me hungrier because I didn't have a 9 to 5 job to fall back on. So that made me hungrier to work harder as a broadcaster. So that's that's definitely relatable, but as far as you know influences outside of my family, um you know, I've had a, a few different ones. I had uh it's funny, playing sports definitely um you know, had an impact on me uh in the long run. Um You know, some of my coaches playing baseball, uh, you know, really had an influence on me. Um, You know, there there was one because also, you know, in baseball, um, when I played, you know, obviously I had high school coaches. I played in college as well at Curry. But then I had private instructors who who I worked with. I had a former uh, Baltimore Orioles player, Paul Winterling, who, um, you know, I do one on one hitting lessons with as a high school player and college player. I would say I learned a lot from him that went beyond just how to play baseball and how to hit and and swing a bat. Because a lot of what I learned from him was about how to be confident in myself. Uh, and it really just how to be a man. And I didn't have that, you know, growing up because, you know, my dad worked all the time, you know, he did teach me some valuable lessons along the way, but we weren't around each other on a day to day basis because he was working so much as a professor. So I would say, you know, some of my coaches and, and mentors outside my family, who I was around more often, really uh, taught me, you know, work ethic, how to be confident um, and, and really helped me to develop as a person. One of my baseball coaches, one of my first uh, private baseball instructors passed away years ago. Um, so it was definitely a sad, you know, sad ending to that relationship, but uh, he passed away in an auto accident. But, you know, he was one of the first people who, who really taught me to, you know, have confidence and, 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 you know, just believe in myself, you know, stick out for myself. Because, you know, when I was younger, I was like terrified of my own shadow. I'm very different now as an adult than I was then. And I think I, I learned that uh, through a lot of my coaches. So I'd say as far as, you know, mentors outside my family, I'd say a lot of my baseball coaches back in the day.
0: You know, uh, Leverett, I want to go back to what you said about your, what your grandma said, like get a realistic job. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us, you know, we fall into that trap of people saying what realistic is. And what we don't realize is like, what's realistic to you is different than what's realistic to me. And so I think of that perception of how would you help people like understand like, Hey, when somebody says that to you, they're coming from their perspective and how to form your own perspective of what realistic is and what you want for yourself. Like, you know, how do you make your dream a reality and not take in that pressure from other people to have a real job when that's like kind of a, just a perspective from their own.
4: Yeah. Well, I would say also, it's like when you evaluate what you want to pursue, are you simply trying to pick something that has the highest chance of success, or are you trying to pick something based on how much you want it? Because I think even if the odds aren't in your favor, if you passionately want something and your life's purpose is to pursue that, I think that's that's reason to to pursue it. I mean, again, and what's the point? You know, how are you going to live a fulfilling life if you're just simply um, you know, pursuing things based on odds. I, I think also, though, you know, to really, really be confident in yourself, you have to kind of look at things from a, from a different angle. It, it reminds me, you know, um, I grew up in Baltimore, and you know, Marcus also, former Baltimore Raven, the Ravens. Do you guys remember Joe Flacco? He's actually still in the NFL, but mm-hmm. like a backup for the Eagles now. But when he was the Ravens' starting quarterback he got some criticism because he said in a radio interview that he thought he was the best quarterback in the NFL. And people were like, "Uh, Joe, like you threw like 24 interceptions last year. And like, have you heard of like Tom Brady or like Aaron Rodgers? Those guys are DC, you know, it's like, and obviously he wasn't, but that's the mentality you have to have. And, you know, for him, if you don't have that mentality as a pro athlete, you're going to get your butt kicked. And, And so, Again, regardless of how high you are on the totem pole, it's important to believe that you're the best because that that allows you to be more successful in the long run. And, you know, if you're looking at it from an unbiased perspective as a football analyst, you're not going to say Joe Flacco is the best quarterback in the NFL. But again, Joe Flacco needs to think that Joe Flacco is the best quarterback in the NFL in order to play to the best of his abilities. And so for me, again, if I looked at it from a numbers perspective, the odds of me making it as a broadcaster maybe weren't great. But again, I was passionate about it. I didn't want to have regrets. I wanted to pursue it. And if I was going to pursue it to the utmost of my abilities, I had to have a certain level of belief. And I'll never, I don't, I don't this, I don't mean this to sound arrogant, but again, in order for me to do well, I have to think that I'm the best at what I do. So I will never, see a broadcaster on television and say that I think they're better than I am. Like I could be at a sports bar and see someone on the TV who's been on ESPN for 25 years and won 10 Emmy awards. And I think I'm better than that person. I'm not, but that's my mentality. So again, you know, I think it's all about, again, believing yourself and, and I think making decisions based on what you want versus the odds. And and there's nothing, there's also nothing wrong with failing. You know, I think a lot of people don't pursue things because they're afraid to fail. At the end of the day, I consider, I don't consider rejection failure. I consider self-rejection failure. If you, you know, shoot your shot, apply for something, you know, whatever, put yourself out there and fail. I don't really view that as failure. I view failure as giving up on yourself. And again, never self-reject, um, you know, whether that's professionally and your romantic life, whatever, you know, I mean, again, put yourself out there. And at the end of the day, I think true failure to me is not trying and having regrets in the long run. So
1: something I want to dive into, and it kind of reminded me of Russell Wilson. Like he talked about from the beginning when he was in North Carolina state or he wasn't highly recruited and going to Wisconsin, he saw himself as this high elite level quarterback, even though his height didn't show it. And people, you know, didn't think he was that high level of a quarterback. So that confidence he had within himself. You mentioned you had instruction from a hitting instructor. And you said the biggest thing he taught you was confidence. Yes. right. How did he go about teaching you how to be confident in yourself? What did he do? What approaches? What, what, what techniques did he use?
4: Um, there were a few different things. I mean, part of it was just setting the example. Um, you know, he was just the most confident person I've ever met. In every aspect of his life, like this guy, uh, his name was Paul Witterling. He actually, w- when the Baltimore Orioles offered him a professional contract, he turned down an opportunity to go to Johns Hopkins Medical School. So, like, he was good at a lot of different things. And, you know, and he he had confidence not just in his athletic abilities, but his intellectual abilities. Also, he would – he would tell me uh, so many different stories about <laughs> this might come across not the greatest as some people, but he would tell me He was very open talking about his romantic conquests and like meeting women when he was traveling on the road as a professional baseball player. And this dude was fearless. Like he would just go, you know, he'd be traveling with the Baltimore Orioles and they'd be at the hotel and he'd go down to the hotel bar and start chatting up girls. And like he would tell me all these stories and, that may come across to some people as a, a little arrogant or whatever, but he, he was just so fearless and confident in every part of his life. Um, And so that kind of set an example for me. It's funny though. He was another person who came on my podcast recently and um he had told me so many stories when I knew him about his romantic conquest that it was like second nature. I didn't think anything of it, but he told a bunch of dating stories on my podcast. And then two days later texted me and said my, he's now married. He said, my wife would like to know if you can delete the uh, stories in the episode of me talking about picking up girls in the MLB. But uh, <laughs> so that got a little weird. His wife didn't like the episode too much, but um, I think one was just setting an example. He also, you know, he talked about like you have to have confidence, you know, and he applied it to baseball, but I, I learned to carry that over in other parts of my life as far as like, you know, just talking about like, there, you're not going to have a shot. If you, if you go up there, if someone's throwing a baseball 90 miles an hour, it's hard enough to hit it if you believe in yourself. But like if you're intimidated by that guy and you don't even think you can hit the ball, why even show up to the ballpark? Someone's throwing 90, 95 miles an hour and you're not confident in your ability to hit. I mean, you've struck out before you even step up to the plate. So he would always, he's talk about that. He would also, you know, talk about different guys he played with. um, And and, um, you know, in the pros in their mentality and kind of give me kind of a, a look behind the scenes at the mentality of a professional baseball player. And I'm not saying that, you know, I want to emulate those guys uh, in every way, those professional athletes, because there's a fine line between confident and cocky. And for me, I want to be confident, but not cocky and arrogant and condescending. And some of those guys, you know, he told me about did kind of cross that line at times, um, and you know, I, I hope if I'm married someday, you know, I don't have to reach out to hosts and ask them to delete parts of my, uh, you know, interview because it offended my wife. But so again, I don't want to emulate those guys in every way, but I think it was again an example and and just getting that look kind of behind the scenes of like what a professional athlete's mentality is like. That is is again so helpful, and it's it just another pers- it's just another level of confidence and fearlessness and like not giving a bleep. I know we don't use curse words on the show, just being so locked in, so confident and, and not backing down from anyone or anything.
2: That's awesome. And it's funny because I can kind of relate to his stories a little bit, having mm-hmm. a few times in the NFL. I have relatives that are playing right now. And when they first got drafted, I, I took them aside and I said, look, I'm not going to ask you for money. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be that relative. I'm going to be your dad or your uncle. I asked to talk to you. Here's what I want you to understand. You know, dude, you ain't that charming. You ain't that cute. You ain't that amazing. You know, where were those honeys when you were broke? Where were those honeys when you were kicking it? Where were those honeys when you were on the street? I hear you, and I understand. And I understand that temptation, and I understand how that feels. But there's a fine line, like you said, between believing in yourself and doing your crap and under, and thinking that you're better than someone else because of that. That's you got to find yourself, because that can change in a second. And I mean in a second. You could really step off of a curb. I had a guy who tripped over one of those wheeled ottomans and broke his knee and lost his football. <laughs> like, and I was like, literally. That was it. Done. So but I want to wrap this up a little bit about something, dude. It's like when you talk about people being confident and stuff, I'm met, met one of your counterparts or your peers in your industry, and it was so funny. His name is Daryl, the Guru Johnson. He does ninety five point seven the game here, and he does it with um, Lorenzo Neal. And I never knew what Daryl looked like because I always heard him on the radio. And then finally, when I met the guy, I went, "You're Daryl," and he looked <laughs> at he He looks like dude. He's a good looking brother. Glad you play in the NFL. I'm thinking it's this nerdy little dude that sits in the barbershop, that guy always yapping and thinks yeah. he knows everything. I totally stereotyped his name. I was like, dude, like, how what do you know about sports? Like, I feel like smacking him sometimes. Once I met him and saw him and saw him away from the microphone, I was like, now nah, I'm a total fan of his show. Like, I endorse him. I tell people, listen to this guy. He knows his stuff. He studied. He has some, he has some degree in communications. And I mean, I totally didn't know what, what was going on with him. And the point I'm trying to make is like, you know, you have to, like you said, think like that, but you also don't know what that person's, why that person's being confident. You don't know their journey. I thought it was just a little knucklehead in the barbershop that always runs his mouth. And I go get my barbershop, go, go get my haircut all the time. And you, you always got those guys in there like, oh man, Jimmy Garoppolo can't play. I I, mean, if I was out there, I could, you're you five, six, weigh like a buck 80. And, and, and you, you just, you came in here eating a cheeseburger. You couldn't, you couldn't tackle across the street. Shut up, stop talking, you know? But Daryl is just, was insane. saying, so I mean, I'm sure you ran into that stuff about that, but I'm glad you brought the whole thing about believing in yourself. But I just wanted to add to the people listening, especially young people is you don't know the person's journey. You don't know how they got to be confident like that. They could have been on the street like Marcus or like yourself or something living in their car. And now they're confident because they got there and they overcame those odds.
4: Oh yeah. 100%. And that's so true. And lots of people who like meet me off the air, they, they tell me that I'm very different from like my like, social media or on TV persona like even like you know this past spring I did some sideline reporting on TV for the Massachusetts Pirates of the Indoor Football League and it's 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 kind of the same thing where like I had a chance to go to a bar with some of the players on the team and they're like you're so much cooler than we expected like we saw you show up to the game in your suit and you know ask us to come on camera and do an interview and seeing your Professional persona. We thought you're kind of a kind of a nerd, and you're just a normal person. It's, it's the same thing. And I'd say also, as much as I talk about conf- being confident, it is a fine line. And you know, there are those people who get too confident and lose themselves, or, or too ambitious, or too career focused, and lose lose touch of their lose touch with their relationships, and you know, people they've known their entire lives, they suddenly act like they don't know them. That's a dangerous game, and people who go too far and again stop responding to friends, stop responding to family, get too into themselves, they're usually humbled so it's it's hard to balance being really confident with with also um not going overboard it's It's a very fine line and and also what you said about how you know people don't know your backstory like when I first tried to get into broadcasting, you know I got rejected so many times and it was so humbling. So now, now that I've established myself more, like if I feel as though TV networks are holding me back and not giving me the opportunities I deserve, I get kind of cutthroat and that rubs people the wrong way. But you know, it's like I've fallen on my face so many times to get here. I'm not going to deal with that anymore. I've dealt with that for years. You know, this is my time. And so people who don't know your backstory, it might rub them the wrong way. So again, it's, it's a fine line between being confident and, 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 and being ambitious, but not going overboard and, and rubbing people the wrong way. And I I can't say that I always handle things perfectly. Um, you know, I'm sure there are people who, whose nerves I've gotten on, but you know, I've at least handled things the best that I could. And I've tried when I've made mistakes and handled things the wrong way, I've tried to learn and not repeat those mistakes.
0: Well, Leverett, man, I uh, appreciate you and, and Marcus coming on the show today. You know, a lot of great uh, talk about purpose, you know, confidence. Uh, we got into a lot of awesome things today, but I want we always finish out with this. Leverett, what does it mean to be a champion in all areas of life? Like the day-to-day,
4: what, is that, what does a champion look like to you? Um. Well, to, to me, I think, um, you, you know, it's partly – it's not just on what you accomplish. I think a big part of it is how you, you know, how you handle your failure – Um, you know, Marcus and I both talk a lot on our podcast about failure. Like, you know, my experience is getting rejected from broadcasting jobs, being an Uber driver, doing this, doing that. Um, you know, Marcus talking about his kind of slump he went into after he got out of the NFL and had to file for bankruptcy. I think what really defines being a champion is how well you respond to adversity and failure. And that's what will make you successful in the long run. Um, also I think a big part of it is just, is just how you treat people. Um, To me, that's one of the things I value the most um, in in anyone I meet is their ability to be sympathetic towards everyone and respectful towards everyone, regardless of whether they can relate to that person or not. You know, I I, I think, again, you're not going to get far in life if, you know, you're only able to get along with and be respectful towards people who are similar to you and look down, you know, on everyone else who whose background is a little bit different than yours because the world is not a cookie cutter there's so many different types of people out there and i think to thrive in this world you have to at least have some level of basic respect for for everyone so those are that's that might not be the answer everyone gives you but those are the most important things to me i think that's in my opinion what defines a champion i think it's
0: uh it's a uh, well put Leverett. and uh you know appreciate you coming on today how can uh, people find
4: uh find you your show with uh, with marcus where can they where can they find you at Leverett? Well, first of all, everyone needs to hit me up on Snapchat. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so our uh, podcast, The Levin Marcus Show, it's on all the major podcast platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, iHeart. Uh, we also put a video version of it on YouTube. Um, and then, uh, you know, also my primary social media is Instagram. That's probably the, the fastest way to uh, get in touch with me. It's just uh, Leverett underscore Ball 12, uh, first name L-E-V-E-R-E-T-T. Everyone I've ever met misspells and mispronounces it, so obviously want to put the spelling out there. I actually my uh, my full name is Leverett Ball. I ordered a uh, I made a I made a food order, and they I went to pick it up, and they wrote my name on the uh, on the order, and they misspelled it. They wrote Left Ball instead of <laughs> Leverett Ball. So, I mean, that was that was humbling. So, uh, yeah, again, it's been a long life having the first name Leverett, so I'm glad I just put the spelling out there for everyone. Oh, yeah.
1: You, next time you already do what? Uh, Reverent. Rever- oh, I've heard everything.
4: Like, <laughs> Lenard, Lawrence. I mean, oh, my God. It's been, again, you know, I, I, I think if I have children someday, I'll give them a name that's a little easier for people, you know, like Tom or something, you know.
1: <laughs> Hey, Jason, we got to give uh, Leverett the rose. We ought to probably get him the rose, shouldn't
0: we? Oh, yeah. Hey, I'll mail it to him.
1: I mean, we're talking about, right, The Bachelor, right? The Bachelor. Yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah. as much
4: as Marcus ripped on me for watching that show when I was bored during quarantine, we had Jared Haven as a guest on our show. Uh, Jared mm-hmm. Haven was on The Bachelorette and The Bachelor in Paradise. He's currently married to a woman he met on the show. We had him as a guest and – Jared is actually opening a restaurant in Rhode Island this coming month and he hired Marcus as a business consultant. So like Marcus makes fun of me for, you know, watching the show. He does daily calls with one of the contestants and Jared is actually the man, really cool guy. But, uh, you know, Marcus has a little uh, bachelor fever in him as well, even if he didn't want to admit it on this podcast. So <laughs>
1: Robert, Robert, before, before he let you go, give me one tip as a man, That you learn from The Bachelor watching that entire show. One tip you can give to a man to how to be more romantic to a woman. What would it be?
4: Well, you know what? I would say, again, I find this show entertaining. I know that I don't ever want to go on that show. Because if I want to have a successful marriage, I'd rather not marry someone who I got to know for two weeks with a TV camera in my face before I proposed. I think it, it takes a little more time to, to kind of develop in my opinion. So I think my advice for anyone in their romantic life is if you're looking to actually get married and have it work, uh, don't marry a stranger that you've known for two weeks with a TV <laughs> camera in your face. That's not supernatural and organic. Just, that's just my opinion. There's also, there's the married at first sight show. That's oh. a, that's on another level of ridiculous. You meet your wife at your wedding. Like, I was watching. I watched the oh whole episode of that show. They, this man and woman met on the altar at their wedding, and the priest. They do the ceremony. The priest goes, "You may now kiss the bride." And The woman's like, "Um, this is awkward. I don't kiss on the first date." <laughs> <laughs> <It's a> wedding. <laughs> but
1: how, how do they how do they match them together? They like uh, they have
4: psychologists interview them, and yep, then they're exactly. like, "Oh, well, they both enjoy golf and uh, warm weather. They should get married. They've never met each other." Oh my dude, gosh. It is, it is a train wreck show. I watched a couple episodes and I'm like, because a
2: friend of mine got me um in she got me interested in see it. So check it out. You you'll watch it. Just watch. Just watch one episode. And dude, it's like it is the absolute worst place. The only reason why you watch it because it's a train wreck. You're like, watch how bad this is gonna go. That's oh, all yeah. it's not about, oh my god, it's special, love it first Uh uh-uh, uh. That's not what this is about. And for the no. girl Remember the, there was that one episode where the dude pulled the veil up? It was the first time he ever saw it. he went. And he, he said, Um uh-uh.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I guess. Well, it, there are I'm all these realities
4: in, like the love is blind one where you can't see someone face to face until you propose you just hear their voice and talk to them so like there have been a couple of people on that show who are like this person is so interesting let's propose and they meet their fiance face to face like oh i didn't know you're ugly like again i i just i don't think reality tv is the way to go to find a husband or wife like like I would do it for the publicity, but if I actually want to have like a long-term relationship that works, I'd rather like take someone out to dinner or something instead of going hey, on a
1: TV Jason, show. Like we're getting off track, but you remember? You remember uh, in living color with Janine? <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh, <laughs>
4: God bless, but yeah. Well,
0: hey, you know, sometimes it's it's good to know what not to do, so you can do what to do. You know, so exactly. I'm saying, so exactly. I'm, gonna correct
2: you, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna correct you on your African American TV culture. In mm-hmm. the in, in, in Club was was Wanda with Jamie she was Jamie Foxx. Shanene was Mark across this across the hall.
1: You mix that way. What was the one? Wait, wasn't it Living Color one? Who was the one when they used to be like? I got my a girl I want you to meet. Her yeah, me. name was Wanda, and it was Jamie Foxx playing the girl. And on, <laughs> that was one, that, that was Living was Color, color it. wasn't it? Wasn't that yeah. Living Color? Who I had the who had the, who had the big lips? Who had the big lips like? That's Jamie Foxx, man.
2: Go, go Google Jamie Foxx on In Living Color. You'll see the characters. Wanda. Yeah, but it's in Living Color, right? Yeah, it's in Living Color. And by but the way, Shinane, it's, in, I coming was,
1: nice America, it's coming to America,
2: by yeah. the way. Yeah, and then Shanaynay was um was on Martin. And both those guys credit their character to, because this is where I'm dating myself. Flip Wilson used to have Geraldine. Flip Wilson, way back in the day, was a, was a black comedian, had a variety show. He had a character called Geraldine.
1: By the way, Lever, Lever, this is uh, what's the show on ESPN at the end? They have the guy that says, "Well, you messed up on this, you messed up on that." You remember? Is it? uh God, uh, yeah, what? What show was it? The guy at the end says, uh, "You guys messed up here and messed up here." That's what Jonathan does at the end. Yeah, that, what,
4: uh, I appreciate it. what. Who so, do you know who hosts? Interrupted?
1: Him? It interrupted or whatever it oh, is? Oh, pardon or, the interruption. And the yes. guy at the end says, "You guys messed up on that. And you messed up on this and that." It's like, okay,
4: thank you. Well, don't thank they cool. have like a time clock where they have to mm-hmm. finish all their topics? Yeah, it's like two minutes, yeah, yeah, per, per topic. Yeah. Hey,
2: Lev, our our dynamic is pretty much different for anybody who's watching. Jason is the calm, cool, like almost like Richie Cunningham with an edge, and he gets the mm-hmm. guest and he talks. And so yeah, Jimmy <laughs> takes us off on some path that has <laughs> nothing to do with the show. Like we're talking about cars. We're suddenly in Zimbabwe talking about how to buy fire in the wood. I don't understand. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm like, Marcus, I keep trying to bring us back. Like, let's make it so the so young kids can feel it. It's just funny.
4: Yeah. Well, it's just like the line in Anchorman, you know, that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah <laughs> hey,
0: this last five minutes escalated quickly i don't even know what how do we got on that one but all uh, kinds
4: of reality shows about dating yeah. I'm, about. I'm, I'm just glad we had lever left ball today baby yeah dude, that was ball, i baby. most stimulating moment of my life so uh yeah yeah lever man you have a great wednesday um and we will uh be in touch with you soon sounds good yeah and uh appreciate you guys having me on
2: yeah, yeah. I'll reach, I'm gonna reach out to you, Marcus. Definitely, just to stay in touch and stuff. I want to keep these networks going.
4: Absolutely, for sure. So cool, cool. All right, yeah. Thanks, guys. Have a good hey. one. Hey guys, well, guys, uh, that was
0: a heck of a show. I mean, a lot of great stuff, and then uh, the end was well, it's it's special. I'll I'll put it that way.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, dude. It's, every time we do these shows, we it gets more comfortable, more fun. And every show, I mean, I hope people listen or they watch it later. They go look at some of our other shows. You'll see progression. But what, what the most important thing is, no matter where we're from and where we come from, we always learn something. Like you always mm. hear someone say something, or even if it just validates something that you've already been through, like, yeah, I feel the same way. Thank you, man. I appreciate
0: that. Yeah. I think the one thing I took away was just, hey, bet on yourself. You know, yeah. and just bet on yourself and have confidence to do it while you're on. And then, you know, let the how take care of it and the how will take care of itself as well.
1: I think for me, it was when, you know, you think about rejection, people get rejected and they get down about it, but self-rejection, yeah. you might get yeah. out of rejection, yeah. but once you get to self-rejection, you reject yourself. That's what, that's what it's done. So you can't reject yourself.
2: Yeah. yeah. I, just, I got like, a, that much just better than yourself. Believe yourself. It's like overcoming those rejections. Understand that no one's coming to say, Hey, you can do this all the time. No one's coming to say, I'll help you or guide you or coach you. Kinda of like he was talking about Walker from the Chargers, and how Marcus was talking about. At some point, man, you going to say, "Look, this is on me. I'm gonna do the best I can. And if I fail, at least I know I tried, rather than sitting around knowing I didn't give an effort."
0: That's right. Yep. All right, guys. Well, a uh, couple of weeks we got a couple of guys coming on talking about the impact of influence. Really excited to have Chip Baker back on the show, um, who's a great author doing some great things in the Texas area. Um, so <laughs> yes. look forward to that. You know, Texas Walker,
1: maybe not. <laughs>
0: There no. we go. <laughs> hey, hey, Jimmy, you know, you know Chip Baker, man. He comes and he brings like it every time. You, That's right. All yeah. right, guys. Have, Have a good, good one.
2: You. Have a good one, guys. Bye.